Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Amy Hagerman, all the way from Stillwater. She decided to come over to our office and, and talk to us today. She's the Ag and Food Policy Specialist, which I was informed that she mostly does ag policy. So I don't know how much food policy we'll talk about today. But this will be an interesting topic to kind of spice up, Amy. Sometimes we talk about policy, it can be a little bit boring. But I have had JC on talk about taxes before, so we can't go that low, no matter what we talk about. I can beat that bar. I would think so. Yeah, that shouldn't be a terrible situation. But most of the stuff you work on, and this is me being uninformed, is Farm Bill, correct? I mean, what, what other types of programs do you tend to work on over at Stillwater? So a lot of it is farm bill. And, and that's just because that's mainly a lot of the programs that we're dealing with, with farmers and ranchers, with local communities are going to be farm bill related programs. Actually, the last couple of years have been a little more diversified than that, simply because we've had all of these new bills that have gone in place that have had emergency sort of measures. Um, and so agricultural policy, we've had a lot of ad hoc policy uh, is what we call it that has filled in some of the gaps for the different sorts of situations that we've had uh, that have occurred. So examples might be the market facilitation program in response mm -hmm. to trade uh, tensions that occurred. Uh, also the coronavirus food assistance program that came through that series of COVID relief bills, the infrastructure and jobs act that just passed recently some of the investments in rural, uh, infrastructure that come from that, including agricultural infrastructure and the impacts that will have on our farmers and ranchers. And then lately, the discussions associated with the Build Back Better bill, which um, is a bit of a mouthful, but it has some money that is set aside for agriculture if that bill should pass. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. You really think about it. The Ag Policy Specialist in recent history really just works on farm bill. But but now, yeah. I mean, it, I don't know if you're getting paid enough because <laughs> whenever you came in, I don't, none of this stuff existed. It just seems like ad hoc after ad hoc program. But, you know, that was, that's what you're doing at OSU now. You didn't come straight out of school back to extension like a lot of us have. You have a little more of a storied past. So kind of where, where did you work before you were in extension? Yeah, so um, after I graduated, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I worked for the USDA Economic Research Service, which is the research arm of USDA in terms of economics. So I did a lot of trade work there. Um, I worked in the animal products and costs of production branch, so a lot of their outlook on market prices and costs of production for livestock producers, and then looking at specifically trade agreements and the potential benefits and costs for agriculture as a result of that. Uh, I was there for about two and a half years and then I moved to Fort Collins, Colorado and went to work for the Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, Veterinary Services, and the uh, Center for Epidemiology and Animal Health. So that was all economic modeling of disease for yeah. livestock producers. And what are the consequences of diseases and how do different control strategies uh, potentially affect our agricultural producers in the country? Um, and so a lot of foreign animal disease modeling there, um, worked with the highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreak in 2014 and 2015. So I was an emergency responder in that. Uh, and then also the highly pathogenic avian influenza outbreaks that happened in 16 and 17. And so that was a really great experience. That really gave me a lot of, of grounded experience in these sorts of extreme events and the real impacts that they have 
on agricultural producers. But when the opportunity came to come back to Oklahoma, I'm a native of Oklahoma, um, and then specifically to work in extension, that was always my goal whenever I went to grad school was to come back to extension. I jumped at it because I was really excited to come back. Yeah, I'm coming from USDA, I'm surprised you didn't just do alphabet soup there and you actually said all the names of all the different agencies. Because <laughs> I'm thinking she just said APHIS, but not APHIS. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? I eat alphabet soup every day still. As an ag policy person, you cannot avoid the alphabet soup. <laughs> I had a producer after a meeting come up and talk to me and I I was kind of taken aback a little bit, and I, I don't even know if I want to share the story, but he came up and talked to me, and he said, you know, I'm a pretty educated person, and I don't know what you guys are talking about here, so I don't know how half the farmers can even understand what you're saying, because I feel like I'm pretty well-read, and I don't know all these different acronyms, and I thought, you'd be surprised. That yeah. farmers know most of these acronyms pretty well. So Well, and I never know which way to go because most people just know the acronym, not necessarily everything that's under it. Like we talk about EQIP, mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily talk about what EQIP stands for. So I never really know which way to go. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been talking to a producer and you say ARC and they're like, what do you mean ARC? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the language matters and it's, a, it's like learning a completely different language, but in case any of you out there are wondering, Amy's the one that I get all my information from. So if it sounds like I actually know what I'm talking about when it comes to policy. She's the one that keeps up on all this. What are you going to say, Josh? Even taking another step back, all those abbreviations and stuff, even for like a beginning farmer that does nothing, the first step is going to that FSA office, right? Farm Service Agency mm -hmm. and see what programs they might be looking at for their, their farm, their operation. Yeah, and you know, we're going to talk a little bit hear about what's going on with the new farm bill and everything, but there's so many programs, just like you talked about, that that we don't know. So what's the best way, Amy, in your mind, that if I'm a newer producer or maybe I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to what's been going on, how do I know what programs are even available to me? So there's a, a few different ways to get involved. Most of our farm level programs are going to be available either through FSA, uh, and that includes some of our programs like the Safety Net programs, ARC and PLC, it includes NAP for some crops that maybe don't have good crop insurance coverage in your county. It's also going to include uh, some conservation programs, specifically CRP. But then also talking to your local NRCS. And uh, so they can come out and do a conservation visit to your farm and put together a conservation plan for your farm. And that lets you know if there are any programs for some of the conservation programs administered by NRCS mm -hmm. that you might uh, be eligible for. So that's going to be the CSP and EQIP. I told you I'd get into alphabet soup. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, there, there are some other agencies certainly that get involved, especially when we start talking about our rural communities. So we've got rural development for things like uh, farm, uh, uh, homestead kind of uh, loans. Um, I didn't talk about FSA for loans. So we got a lot of, of loan programs through mm -hmm. FSA as well. So I think FSA and NRCS are a great first stop just to talk about what are the options, what is available in my county. Because that's the other critical thing is that these programs aren't exactly the same in every county sometimes. So it's also important to realize that even if you're aware of what's happening at the national level or even at the state level, sometimes there's specific things going on in your county that it's really good to be aware of. Is there an NRCS office in every county or pretty much every county? 
So um, there is usually a, at least a contact for every county for NRCS, although they, they do have more of an area yeah. base now. I think they've been trying to fill in some critical uh, gaps in their, their employment uh, just to make more of a presence around the state. But it, it gets a little confusing on the conservation side, right? Because we yeah. have our conservation districts, and then we have our NRCS districts. And <laughs> so the, the lines get really blurry about who you talk to. <laughs> yeah. and, and usually when it comes to funding, the, the, like you said, the priority areas that they specify that is important to that area can change depending on where you are. But uh, I think I found it basically your if it's not in your county, it's about a county over. So it's, it's yeah. not too far of a drive to get to one of those offices. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have at least a phone number you can call in every county, even if the person is, is not yeah. there. Yeah. And somebody in RCS is like, won't you have one of us on? We can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody wants to reach out, to be on the re podcast, we're revealing about, our ignorance yeah. right now. <laughs> but no, that's, that is the struggle though. It, three individuals sitting here that have dealt a lot with those offices. Sometimes you walk in, you don't know what door to knock on, but there's yeah. a whole bunch of resources available. I think that's the critical thing is just knock on a door, get mm. started, and you're going to find the person you need to talk to. Especially important for young producers or beginning farmers. I say young, but that's the wrong term. You could be 60 years old and be a beginning farmer. It's not, Absolutely. It's not necessarily, it all goes off when you file your first schedule F, really. Right. And so that's also important. I think is one thing I've learned is it's kind of like applying for scholarships in college. If you're early, you're on time. But if you wait till you think you need to be doing it, you're probably going to be behind. And yeah. so when it comes to getting those those different monies, especially with conservation programs and things, the signups can be a year ahead of time or so before you're before you're actually needing those programs. So it's important to be timely. Yeah, it is. And, and knowing the deadlines and realizing that the deadlines are, like you said, well before when you're actually getting the money or implementing the program or the coverage period, depending on what you're doing. But another critical thing, I think, is once you're in the system, you get a lot of alerts from them about deadlines and when mm -hmm. new applications are due. You just got to get in the system first. And like you said, especially for new and beginning producers, um, even if like you said, if you're 60 years old, but you've just gotten a place for the first time, mm -hmm. well, then you're a beginning producer. Um, so, yeah. And I'll age this podcast by saying this, but with COVID going on and everything, uh, sometimes knocking on doors isn't as easy. You got to find a phone That's number true. to call because they've locked down a lot of the offices. But all that aside, uh, kind of what I'm interested in and kind of switching gears here is yeah, I came in to extension in 2014. So we had a new farm bill in the works and, and being implemented at that time. And then we just kind of extended it. So I felt like I could remain dumb and not have to learn anything new. But what is the new farm bill deliberations going on? What are they thinking about making some decent changes or what have you heard? Yeah, the last farm bill was not very different. The 2018 farm bill was not very different from the 2014 farm bill. But if you just look back in history, it's pretty unusual to go more than two farm bills without mm -hmm. uh, an overhaul in some area of the farm bill. So history would tell us we might see some bigger changes mm -hmm. in this farm bill. The question is, would they be willing to do it this close to all the disruptions that were associated with COVID? Mm -hmm. I think that, that that may be one of the questions. How much are they willing to rock the boat by doing overhauls in some different areas? Uh, another thing, I think is that we've had a, a change in leadership 
in a lot of the committees that are determining this farm bill. And that's going to determine the direction and which areas of the farm bill we might see more changes in. And of course we have an election in the fall of 2022. Again, aging the podcast just a little bit, but Mm -hmm. timing is important when it comes to policy. Uh, And so depending on what happens in that election, depending on how the leadership in those committees change in the House and the Senate, as not just new people are elected, but then also just the changeover in the leadership and the the members that are in the committees, that's really going to determine the direction of that farm bill. I think right now, some of the things that we're seeing is we're we're certainly seeing a lot more uh, conversation right now around uh, conservation. I'll get my words right. Conversation, conservation, yeah. Conversation around conservation. (laughs) Conjunction, junction. (laughs) (laughs) What's your function? And then uh, climate smart technologies. We're seeing a lot of conversation around soil health, carbon sequestration, uh, uh, different kinds of erosion prevention. So there's some good conversations around those areas. And I think it's possible that we'll see some more funding that might go to conservation efforts and the climate smart technologies. Also an area that I'm, I'm really uncertain how it's gonna play out in the policy sphere is related to livestock and specifically livestock market data and data transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hearing a lot of calls for USDA to be more involved beyond just the mandatory reporting of prices Uh, to have some mechanisms in place to increase publicly available data on what's happening in those markets and transparency. Will this go into the farm bill? So far, it's been introduced as separate bills. So I don't know the extent to which it'll go into the farm bill. It's been a long time since we've had a call for a separate livestock title in the farm bill. I I don't see the winds blowing in that direction for this farm bill yet, but it might come up at some point. Yeah, and then yeah, as a producer and, and you want change and to happen, it's kind of, I don't know, I never really know if I want something in the farm bill or not. Right? <laughs> because once it's there, it can be hard to get rid of. and It and really is. It can be changed, but it seems like once something shows up there, it kind of just stays. And I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on what would be good or bad when it comes to a livestock title? I I haven't even really thought about that. You know, livestock is sprinkled throughout the farm bill. There's actually quite a bit of livestock related program uh, authorization in the mm-hmm. farm bill, but it's just sprinkled throughout. So you've got dairy in the commodities title. Right. You've got the disaster assistance programs for livestock producers that are in Uh, the commodities title, and then also you've got programs that are in the miscellaneous title. You've got uh, insurance authorizations that fall within the crop insurance title. So in reality, there's a lot of livestock in the farm bill. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a matter of would anybody bother to break it all out into its own title? I don't necessarily see the benefit of breaking it all out into its own title. Why not just kind of leave it where it's at? Uh, in, in terms of its current locations, but you know, where would anything new go in? Would they mm. just tuck it into miscellaneous, which includes <laughs> yeah. a lot of livestock programs? <laughs> yeah, and you you kind of wonder if there would be any specific uh, deliberations 
given to a, its own specific title, you know, mm-hmm. with, whether there be more time spent on that. Uh, I I tend to be the type of person that wants less interaction yeah. with the government and less less meddling. So to me, I kind of feel like I just add what you have to and, and move on. But yeah, well, and I think it's I think you're right. It's it's easy to say, well, right now in this situation, we want this kind of policy, but you really have to think about it as it grows up. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's nice whenever it's a cute baby policy. But what's it going to look like as a temperamental teenager policy that you're dealing with 10 to 15 years down the road? So whenever a farm bill gets passed, you you talked about the different titles. What is the process for getting an individual title approved within the farm bill? Does that you know, does does each one get reviewed completely separate from the others or kind of how does that process Mm -hmm. work? So right now we're going through the process in the committee and subcommittee hearings of reviewing each one of the titles of the farm bill. So they've had the conservation title hearing. Um, as of when we're recording this, they're having the commodities hearing today, later on this morning. So they're going to go title by title through the farm bill. They're going to review all of those policies, say what's working well, what's not working well, what are we hearing in terms of pol- uh, problems associated with these titles. Uh, and part of the problem is that the farm bill is a beast. It's like a 2,700 page mm-hmm. bill mm-hmm. when it's all said and done. And so shifting anything around in any major way adds hundreds of pages to the thing because we're going to strike it from here and we're going to add it to there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a lot of logistics involved in, in putting a new title in the farm bill. But there was a livestock title historically, and they actually took it back out. Hmm. So it's been done in the past, certainly. Oh, yeah. But with all this, does each individual title have its own committee that reviews it, or is it one committee that reviews every single title? It's one committee. So it's the Senate and House Agriculture Committees that review everything. The Senate's a little more complicated because there are a few things that fall in the realm of other committees in the Senate. Uh, so you do get a little more involvement on the Senate side for other kinds of committees, but the main drivers are the House Ag Committee and the Senate Ag Committee. Okay. Yeah, that, that's kind of a lot of stuff that happens behind closed doors that nobody really knows what's going on until it's passed. And then mm-hmm. what I always think is kind of, I don't know, fascinating and hilarious all at the same time is anytime legislation gets passed and becomes law, then it's up to all the individual agencies administering those programs to interpret said law. <laughs> and it, it's interesting what, what the disconnect might be with someone's good intentions in writing a law and how it actually gets interpreted. I don't know if you have any interesting stories related to that type of thing or not, but it's just, I always think about when FSA kind of gets this monster put in front of them that they have to read. And then it's like, well, how are we actually going to deliver these programs? And, yeah, kind of goes back to what I say. Simpler might be better. Yeah. One, one thing that pops up in my mind is the 18, you know, the the hemp. Uh-huh. That was a lot of interpreting from the different agencies. And I think there's still right. not everyone's on the same page. So, yeah. And that's it's it's such a dangerous thing for the, the legislators, you know, because if you get super prescriptive about what it is, you can accidentally build something into the law, which is pretty inflexible once mm. it's passed. That U.S. That just doesn't work for mm-hmm. USDA, but then you know USDA has greater flexibility to create some of the nuances in those programs to uh, account for some of the complexities that the real world always contains. 
And so it's, I'm sure it's a delicate balance for them trying to figure out, you know, how prescriptive is prescriptive enough to get a, a get across the point of what we really want this program to accomplish. But then also, you know, these hearings right now, that's where the USDA is coming back and saying, okay, this is how we implemented this. This is how well it has worked or has, these are the parts that hasn't worked. And then that's when they go back in and amend the bill and try to create some um, additional flexibilities where there need to be, or maybe close some loopholes where they need to close some loopholes. So it is a really complicated behind the scenes process. But the thing that I've had to learn in this job is nothing is final until it's final. Until the final bill is signed, everything is open for potential amendment. And so it's really hard to look forward for some of these programs and we'll hear all kinds of things thrown out, all right, mm-hmm. as possibilities. But it's not final until it's been signed by the president and goes to USDA. And even then, like you said, it's not really final till the guidelines come out mm-hmm. to the county offices that the producers have to actually follow. Yeah, it gives you a new appreciation for legislators and what they do, because sometimes it's easy just to be upset with what comes out. But thinking about how to make this almost a living document that can actually do some good without making it too restrictive has to be incredibly difficult. Yeah. For something this big too. I mean, hundreds of programs Mm -hmm. live inside the farm bill. Well, that's, we've covered a lot. That kind of brings us to the end of our time for this episode. Uh, I hope that, you know, meeting Amy here through the podcast, if you have any questions about policy, we can put, definitely put you in touch with her and, and, you know, it, when it comes time to make farm bill decisions, of course, Extension always does a pretty good job of of hitting the high points and, and the types of programs that you need. So with that. If you have any questions, we have our email, extensionexperience right. yeah. at okstate.edu. You can email us there as well. Yeah. Yeah. We started a new thing there where we kind of want to get questions in uh, from people listening to the podcast. So if you have a question for Amy, we can definitely address that in a future episode uh, through that as well. Or you could just answer it, Trent. I'm I good could. With that. Well, you know, we talked about interpreting things and <laughs> and sometimes my interpretation can be from a farmer perspective. Yeah, and we'll see where it goes. But I definitely do uh, do try to offer some help, especially when it comes to ARC and PLC signups and things like that. We've, we've been answering a lot of those questions lately. So with that, we'll catch you next time.